Well, hello once again. Pastor Michael here. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we are continuing in our summer series that's called The Power of Belief. And it's really a journey through the things that shape not only our faith, but our life. There's a series of things that you and I believe, whether we know it or not, that actually determine and they shape the direction of our life. And that applies not only to our spiritual lives, but to our physical lives as well. But what we're doing this summer is we're exploring some of the foundations of our faith, what we believe as Christ's followers and why that's important. And so I'm excited today to continue uh, in that series. Here's a question for all of you. How many of you have a hard time asking for help? How many of you have a hard time asking for help? Some of you, you like your husband or your wife is nudging you right now because you're that person. Well, I have a confession to make. I'm that person. I have a really hard time asking for help. I, I just tend to try to do things on my own and it ends me up in some places where I've bitten off way more than I can chew and so I have a really hard time doing that and so many of us have a hard time asking for help because for some of us we feel like it shows weakness. It shows that we aren't as good at as many things as maybe we would like to be. You know sometimes it's just less complicated to do things yourself. I don't know if you've ever been part of a group project back in school or even at work and you know there's a point, depending on who else is in your group, that it's just easier to do it yourself. And so it's, it's a lot easier to just not ask for help. You know, we feel like we're the only ones that could get it done. Maybe there's something that you do or there's something that you're uniquely good at or skilled at or that you know and you feel like you're the only one who can pull that thing off. Uh, some of us, we just don't like to bother other people. We don't like to trouble them. And you know what happens with some of us is we just hit our limits and we we give up. We just give up and we walk away from whatever it is. And one of the things, at least in my life, that I've discovered is true is that all of the noble reasons that I might give for not wanting to ask for help, not wanting to bother people, not wanting to burden them or inconvenience them, a lot of times it has a lot more to do with my illusion of control and even my pride when it comes to my life than I would love to admit. And so this whole thing comes down to a very simple but very important idea is that subtly all of us at some level, we believe that there's more that we think we should be able to do than we can do on our own. So we think we can or should be able to do more things than we actually can on our own. We put the bar higher than maybe we are actually able to measure up to. And so there's just this subtle thing that we have is, you know, we should be able to do that. We should be able to take that on. We should be able to, to climb over that. And what happens is we run into the limits of that in our lives. We run into it with our time, with our energy, uh, with our skills, and even in our spiritual lives. And every time that happens, especially for those of us who kind of grow up in America in this kind of we can do it kind of nation, is it really, really messes with us. You know, there's a poll that came out earlier this spring by an organization called YouGov, and it's like one of my favorite polls ever. Here's the question they just randomly ask online. It goes like this, which of the following animals, if any, do you think you could beat in a fight? if you were unarmed. Which of the following animals, if any, you know, if you were to face off with this animal, do you think you could beat in a fight? You're not bringing any weapons in. This is just hand-to-hand -hand combat with the animal. They had a whole list of them, and I'll name some of them for you. 72% of Americans think they could take a rat. 
which seems kind of obvious, but then you think about it, uh, that there's a whole group of people, 28%, who if a rat comes into their house, they're just gonna raise the white flag and move out. And so there's another side to it. 69% think they could take a house cat. 71% think they could take on a goose. We'll come back to that one. 49%, a medium-sized dog. Check this out. 30% of Americans think they can take on an eagle. 23% a large dog. 17% a chimpanzee. 15% a king cobra. 14% think they could take a kangaroo. 12% a wolf. 9% a crocodile. 8% a gorilla. That's a crazy 8%. 8% an elephant, 8% a lion, and 6% of Americans think if they faced off with a grizzly bear, unarmed, barehanded, they would come out on top. And so in this poll, and boy, you should really check it out, yougov.com, it's all right there. Uh, there's this dichotomy in what we think about weak, what we can accomplish on our own that emerges. Some of us feel a little more helpless, like if the rat were to come into our house, we would move out. We just couldn't take on the rat. But then there's a small group of us that doesn't think we need any help at all. We're the people who think we can take on the grizzly bear and win. And part of that is that unique thing that's in our culture where we've been trained that we're individuals, that we can do it on our own, that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's such an American way of living. Now here's what's interesting, is that they conducted the same poll in Great Britain and all of the numbers were lower. And so that either means that one group or the other has a less realistic view of what they can do, or someone's a little more in touch with reality. One of the ones that was interesting was in Great Britain, there was a 26-point difference in the number of British people who thought they could take on a goose. In America, 71%. In Great Britain, only 45% think they could take a goose on and win. And so here's another confession for you is I have actually taken a goose on and I did not win. And there is video. And if you stay tuned to Long Hill Chapel's social media later this week, you might just see that video. So you don't want to miss that. But there's just this difference in how we see ourselves. And so there's a group of us that doesn't think we need a lot of help. And then there's another group of us that thinks we need more help than we could possibly Imagine, And you know, this is all funny when we look at it in a poll like this, but it's a struggle in our daily lives, and it filters into our spiritual lives. You know, one of the things that most of us, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've been a Christian, you know about being a Christian is there's a certain level of discipline involved. And really all discipline is, is repeated effort. It's something that you decide to do even when you don't feel like doing it. And there's a lot of that around that. Worship, giving, serving, devotion, prayer, Bible study, being in community with other people. There's something that you need to put in the effort and something happens when you do it, even if you don't feel like it. And you know what? That's a good thing. But what happens, if we're not careful, is the discipline mindset, rather than being part of our Christian lives, it becomes our Christian lives. And so everything 
about our spiritual lives suddenly becomes about how much effort we put in or we don't put in. And there's a group of us that that's incredibly inspiring and motivating, and so we work super hard, but there's another group of us that when we encounter that, it just overwhelms us and it makes us want to give up. And when we fail, wherever you find yourself, we are tempted to either go it alone or to give up. But here's the reality, and this is where we're going today. You cannot do life as a Christian without continual help. You cannot do life as a Jesus follower without continual help. Not just here and there, but without continual help. And so often, this brings in what we've already talked about, which is our very difficult relationship with asking for help. Some of us, we feel helpless, and we don't ask for help. And some of us think we have everything in control, and we don't ask for help. You know, or we want the help, but we want it on our terms. We know what God should do for us in our vision of our lives, and even our vision of our Christian lives. Because there's this thing that's been wired into so many of us when it comes to help, is that it makes us feel weak. It's something we see as a temporary condition that we need until we get out of trouble. You know, there's this saying, and many people actually think this is in the Bible. If you go Google this, it's like, where in the Bible is this phrase? And it's the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have heard that phrase? Many of us have heard that phrase. And there's a lot of people that think that's actually in the Bible. The original phrase actually came out of Greek philosophy, and it said, the gods, meaning the Greek gods, help those who help themselves. But it fits so much with what we've been taught, that if we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, if we just work a little harder, that's when God goes, oh, they're really killing it, so now I'm going to step in. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we either try to overcome or we get crushed into helplessness. And here's the reality for us is God knows. He knows we all need help, not just when we think we need help, but because we always all need help. And in fact, Jesus promises this to his early followers. There's this little passage in one of the Gospels, and the Gospels are just the accounts of the work and the life and the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of John in chapter 14. And what's happening is Jesus is getting ready uh, to be arrested and then crucified. So he's getting ready to leave, and the disciples are beginning to get nervous. And so this entire discourse is about what they're going to do next and how it's going to look. And he starts talking about this helper who is going to come in his absence. And in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 16, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And if you look in your Bibles or you look on the screen, you see that word spirit is capitalized. So this isn't just like a force. This is actually God. This is the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. 
So this is a helper that's not only near, he's actually within. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. So this is this curious thing he's saying where it seems like he's going away, but in a way he's not going away. And that's really what the Holy Spirit does. Because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And so in this brief passage of Scripture where Jesus is talking, you know, and it's a little complex what he's saying, we see this a foundational idea of the Christian faith emerge, which is this idea that we call the Trinity, that God is one God, but he's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see all three in play in this little passage here. But there's a word that shows up in verse 16. It's the word that is rendered, at least in this version, helper, and some others it's advocate, but it's a Greek word, parakletos. And what it means is it means the comforter, the helper, the counselor, the advocate, one who comes alongside. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Have you ever found yourself in one of those situations where you got way in over your head? I have many, many, many stories personally about that. My wife can tell you many, many, many stories about how Michael got in over his head. Uh, this past winter, we had some big snowstorms, and I, I believe I've told the story before, but it perfectly encapsulates it. I was backing out of our long driveway. It's about 85 or 90 feet long. I couldn't see the driveway. The snow was there, and the long and short of it is, is me who grew up in the snow belt in upstate New York where it snows all the time, and we laugh in the face of New Jersey winters. I managed to back off my driveway and into the ditch. So my SUV is hanging there on the edge of the driveway, wheels spinning. Uh, my son was in the back because we were trying to go sledding. And he's like, Daddy, is everything okay? And no, things were not okay. We were stuck. I tried to get off. I put it in four-wheel drive. It didn't matter. I was absolutely stuck. And so I needed help. And so I called my friend, Tim Daniels, who some of you saw here last week, uh, he was preaching. Uh, he's a pastor at another church, Newbridge Church over in Morristown. And Tim has a gigantic four-wheel drive truck and a bunch of chain. And so Tim, being the good friend that he is, he came over and he pulled me off of my driveway, like embankment, and out of this helpless situation. And to this day, when I back out of my driveway, my son says, Daddy, don't drive into the yard. Thanks, son. I appreciate the vote of confidence. But the reality was I was absolutely helpless. And what Tim did is exactly what someone who comes alongside does. And as Jesus followers, as Christians, we don't just get stuck occasionally. Without help, we're continuously stuck. And we don't like the sound of that. That gets at something in the American part of us or the I can do it part of us. But without the helper, we are continually stuck. We can't do it on our own. And you know what? In that situation, there are a couple other ways I could have responded. I could have sat out there revving the engine going forward and backwards and making a lot of noise and spinning tires and burning rubber, but going nowhere or I could have just given up and you go out there in August and my car is still stuck in the driveway because I gave up. But instead, 
I ask for the helper, the one who comes alongside. And what we discover in this passage is that when it comes to our lives and faith, as we walk with Jesus, we are continually stuck. We're dead in the water without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not just a force or a person who comes to pull us out of our sticky situations occasionally. It is a force and a person is the literal presence and power of God that we need in everyday life. We need it every moment. We need it in every situation. There's not a situation or circumstance or a day or a moment that we live through where we don't need the helper, the Holy Spirit of God alongside us. If we have any hope of living the life of faith and journeying with Jesus. So we're promised the helper and we need the helper. Who is the helper? And what does the Holy Spirit do for us, in us, and through us. I want to spend some of our time uh, teaching in a way we don't usually do here. So it's a lot of verses and it's a lot of detail, but I think it's important that we understand that. And I'll say this right up front. There's a lot of things <clears throat> that are easily missed just in the short amount of time we have, but I want to paint a picture of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person and not a force. We said earlier that we believe that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not parts of God. They are all God. And so Jesus constantly is talking about him leaving in John chapter 14 and some of the, the parts that follow and the Spirit coming. And so God hasn't left. Jesus, we believe, is fully God. He wasn't just a moral teacher. He was fully God. And so God hasn't left, but God's revelation, his manifestation, the way he is appearing in our lives changes in this moment. But what happens with us so often is because the Holy Spirit is invisible, the Holy Spirit dwells within us if we're Christ followers, is we tend to treat the Holy Spirit much more like a force. And so our theology, our understanding of the Holy Spirit is shaped a lot more by Star Wars than it is by Scripture. And so it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person and not just like extra energy or another tool in our toolbox. That would have been like a Tim's truck showing up without Tim. You know, and I could have gotten in the truck and probably figured it out. But here's what happens with us when it comes to the Holy Spirit more often than we would like to admit. We want the power of the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is that we think needs to be done. But if we're honest, we really don't want the person of the Holy Spirit. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want the thing that's gonna give us more power, more ability to not need help but we don't want the person. We don't want God, the Holy Spirit. We could do our agenda bigger and faster and stronger, but that's not how it works. You know what, you and I have both seen a lot of, probably in hotel rooms and late at night when we can't sleep, crazy late night TV preachers that do all sorts of wacky things. And so many of them want the power of the Holy Spirit without the person of the Holy Spirit. They want the power because of the spectacle that it creates. But the person of the Holy Spirit doesn't create 
a spectacle because receiving the person of the Holy Spirit forces us to surrender control. It's not just a tool or a force that we get to use to our ends. Instead, we become the tools and the power of God animates us. And that requires us to surrender, to become humble. And I'll go as far as to say this. If you see someone, even a Christian person, even someone who says the right words, and knows the right things to say, and they have power, but they don't have humility, you're seeing something, but you're not seeing the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain why a little bit later. So the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, and the reason that's so important is because of how it invites us to come. We don't just come with our agendas, with our pride, with what we're going to do, with the, to get a little more power to do it. We come and we're humbled, just like I was humbled when Tim came. I had to admit my need, and then I had to let him help me. And the Holy Spirit works the same way. So the second thing is that the Holy Spirit brings perspective. And we discover that there's several ways that that happens. But we discover that in John chapter 16, which is one of the other passages where the Holy Spirit is being talked about and Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us for what's wrong and for what's right. So the Holy Spirit convicts us for what's wrong and what's right. In John chapter 16 and verse eight, Jesus says this. He says, and he, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, but also concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. And so the Holy Spirit comes and brings perspective. It brings clarity for the things that are wrong that we should stop doing, the directions we should stop moving in, but also to turn us in the direction of what's right. The other perspective that the Holy Spirit brings is the Holy Spirit teaches us. And Jesus talks about that in this passage that we're reading in John chapter 14 today. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And so the Holy Spirit is pointing back to Jesus and this is something for uh, you who are watching and listening online is so important you understand. I don't teach you anything. I don't preach at you anything. That's what God does. I hope to show you the word of God and the way of God, how it's laid out in the scriptures, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of getting that into my heart and your heart. So the Holy Spirit brings perspective in the world, convicts us of what's right and wrong, but teaches us the way that we ought to go in, which is the same way as Jesus. It's all of the things that Jesus said and that he did. Here's the next thing the Holy Spirit does, though. The Holy Spirit helps us keep going and in the right direction. The Holy Spirit helps us keep going and in the right direction. So the Holy Spirit's a person, not a force. The Holy Spirit brings perspective, but the Holy Spirit helps us keep going and in the right direction. And if you want that to rhyme, it's the word perseverance. And what this is, is we know that the journey of life 
even as we follow in faith after Jesus through this world and through our lives, it's complex, it's difficult. There's times where we wanna give up. There's multitudes of opportunities for us to go in the wrong direction, but the Holy Spirit helps us keep going in the right direction. There's a theological term for this called sanctification. It's how we're made more and more into the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does as he helps us keep going is he seals us for salvation. Over in the book of Ephesians, which is one of the letters that the apostle Paul wrote, in chapter one, he says this, in him you also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What's that mean? It means that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit stamps a seal on that transaction that cannot be undone. If you truly follow Jesus, truly trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit completes that way in a way that cannot be undone. And so for a few of you today, you're listening and you have questions, you're like, am I really saved? We can look at this passage and we can trust and know that it is God who has put a stamp on that transaction. And a seal in ancient times was something that royalty used uh, to seal a letter or to certify a document. And so God has certified that you are his. And there is nothing that can undo that seal. There's nothing that can undo what God has declared. The devil can't, the circumstances of this world can't, whatever you find yourself facing can't if you have come and you have trusted in Jesus God says that one is mine and we can have great confidence and great hope even in the midst of difficulty and the other thing the Holy Spirit does as he helps us keep going as he guides us into all truth and he continually even as we've seen already points us back to Jesus. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 16 and verse 13. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative. So he's not saying things that are different or counter to or even in addition to Jesus. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. And here's the other big bucket of what the Holy Spirit does. Remember what I said, there's so many things, we have limited time, so there's certainly things that I'm not gonna spend as much time on, but I want you to understand the, the bulk of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The fourth thing, the Holy Spirit brings power and purpose to our lives. Power propels purpose. Power propels purpose. Let me illustrate what I mean. If I were to bring a vacuum cleaner up here, I could start pushing it around the stage. I could it could be the best vacuum cleaner you've ever seen. It could be brand new and shiny, and I could just start pushing it around. But if it wasn't plugged in, and if it wasn't turned on, nothing would happen. And the purpose of a vacuum cleaner is to clean carpets. But if there's no power to that vacuum cleaner, it does not fulfill its purpose. It's useless. And you know, if you have an appliance or a tool or something like that, and it burns out and the motor stops working, what do you do? You, you throw it away, or you get rid of it, or you put it away in the closet and you don't touch it, you don't use it, because it lacks 
purpose. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is the thing that propels us into our purpose. There's a little verse in the beginning of the book of Acts. It's the beginning of the church in uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. And, and Jesus is saying this just about as he's about to be uh, taken up into heaven. He says, go back and wait, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then something will happen as a result of that power you'll discover your purpose. You'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, and Jer into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the power doesn't just exist for itself. It doesn't just exist uh, to do a late night TV evangelism spectacle. The power of the Holy Spirit propels us outward into our purpose. And we see what that looks like in this passage in Acts. People begin to notice Jesus because of our lives. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. People begin to notice that we're living differently, that we're responding differently. And I dare say to you, church, if we live and we respond just the way everyone around us does, we need to ask ourselves what power is propelling us. Because the Holy Spirit always points, points us and points others to Jesus. So what does that purpose look like? The purpose always produces fruit. Always produces fruit. In the book of Galatians, and there's a lot of scripture, but I just want to paint this big picture of what the Holy Spirit does. There's a passage where, where Paul is writing again to a church, and he's saying, when you're operating in the power of the Spirit and under the influence and sway of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives, there's certain things that always happen. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Whenever the Holy Spirit's power is working in your life and in my life, regardless of what it is we're doing, there's other places that we don't really have time to go to today where the Holy Spirit gives every Christian and every believer gifts. He gives us things that we uniquely contribute as we live out the purpose of God in the community of faith and in the world around us. But we always do that in a specific way and it looks like this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. So whatever we do is always marked. The purpose we have always smells like always looks like, and I dare say, every local church should make it a goal to look and smell like that. Because when we do that, we can know that the Holy Spirit is at work, not only in our lives, but in our midst. So where do we land this today? Where do we land this idea? The Holy Spirit's a person, he's not a force. He always brings perspective, he guides us into truth, he convicts us not only of what's wrong, but of what's right. He helps us keep going, and he helps us go in the right direction, and he brings power and purpose to our lives. There's two words I want to leave with you today. If you're trying to figure out where do I start, or maybe where do I go back to when it comes to this, here's what those words are, rest and receive. Rest 
and receive. Rest. Acknowledge that you not only need help, but that it's been made available to you. And you can't do this on your own. Acknowledge that you need help. And not only is help offered to you, Jesus promises the helper, the Holy Spirit. But we literally can't do this even on our best days on our own. And so we have to rest in that reality. And it causes us to give up trying to overachieve and overperform. And it also walks us away from helplessness because we're resting in the person and the power of God. You know, today, maybe some of you, you feel a little bit alone in life. Certainly the past year and a half has had its share of things that would seek to isolate all of us. But the Spirit of God is always with you. Jesus promised that. And you can always rest there. Maybe you feel helpless and you've given up. Receive the helper today. And maybe you don't think or you don't want or you don't even want to even consider needing help. You do. We do. Even when we don't see it. So rest in that. It's not a reality that condemns us. It's a reality that sets us free. But then receive not just the help but the helper, not just the power, but the person, not just the gifts, but the fruit that God would begin to bring into your life. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, it will change you in ways that you never expected. And the work of God through the Holy Spirit in your lives will change you maybe in ways that you're not even sure about, that make you a little bit uncomfortable because it always calls us out onto the edge. It always calls us into faith. Rest and receive. And there's a promise that Jesus leaves us with at the end of this passage in John chapter 14. One of my very favorite verses in all of the Bible. That if we rest and we receive, we are guaranteed something that we struggle for so much and in so many ways in the world around us. He says this, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I do not give you as the world gives, not the way of the world, not the kingdom of the world. Jesus doesn't even give you and I what we try to give ourselves. And you know that when you feel helpless or when you're trying to control it all and do it all and outperform the next person, you never feel peace. But when we rest in our need of help and then we receive the helper, peace comes. And that's something all of our hearts could do with. A peace that cannot be shaken. The peace that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the power of belief. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you're not just a force. That you are the very Godhead. You're the very fullness of God. And you've been promised to dwell in our hearts from the moment of salvation and to work out that dwelling in our lives as we journey day by day, step by step. I pray for those who are watching and listening who need to rest this morning, who need to admit their need 
and make space for you, but then to just dwell in the peace that your presence brings. Whatever that looks like, whether it's a situation, whether it's a way of living, whether it's someone who's just given up, or maybe some of us who are just trying and we're doing good things and we're even doing spiritual things, but we're doing it on our own strength. We stop that today and we rest in you. Help us then receive all that you would bring us, the life that you would bring us into, the journey that you would take us on, the things that you would cause us to loosen our grip on and maybe some of the things you would cause us to take up. We trust in you. We receive all of the fullness of who you are. We thank you that you are promised as the one who comes alongside and that you are always faithful to that promise. We thank you for our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.